I offer this podcast freely. Your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, visit ReneeMcKenna.com. Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. My name is Renee LaValle McKenna, and I bring my 30-plus years as a recovering addict and ex-crazy person turned therapist and shamanic healer to bring you snackable teachings on spirituality, psychology, and all things personal growth. And today I want to talk about unconditional love. And in order to talk about unconditional love, we need to talk about conditional love and all of the many feelings, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that we call love that actually are not love. Words are powerful, and I actually think it's a tragedy that we just have this one word, love, for all the different ways that we can have desire and interest and connection with people, places, things, and life. And that oversimplification really, I think, causes a lot of problems. And there are seven different words for love in Greek, each meaning a different thing. Eros is romantic or passionate love. Philia is intimate, authentic friendship. Ludus is playful, flirtatious love. Storge is familial love. Philautia is compassionate self-love. Pragma is committed companion love. And agape is empathic universal love. And if we think about the different relationships in our life where we might say, I love this, I love him, I love that, the quality of that connection is different in each of those relationships. So I love my dog differently than I love my neighborhood, different still from how I love the color red, the deep connection I have with my best friend, the passionate love and adoration I have for my romantic partner. And the love we might have for nature, very different from the love we might have for a movie or a book. And because life is always pushing us to grow in depth and complexity, there's a difference in quality and even quantity in the love we might have for the different pets in our life, the different lovers that we've had, the different books we've read, or the different places in nature that we might frequent. These are each unique relationships. Now, when we love a place or a thing, an idea or piece of media, or even a pet, that appreciation, that connection, the positive feelings that our love for those places, ideas, or creatures might evoke, is a one-way street for the most part. Now, certainly everything has a feedback loop. Pets generally react to us in a positive and predictable way. Though I've certainly had some unpleasant pets in my life, and the car that I love can break down or be completely reliable, and certainly nature has infinite life force to offer us, but the love that we have for places, things, and ideas is pretty conditional. It either agrees with us or it doesn't. Generally, when we say we love something, it's because it gives us positive feelings, and there's not much challenge in that. And if we don't like a restaurant or a TV show, There's no commitment, and we could just as easily hate or dislike it because it didn't give us what we wanted or meet our expectations or make us feel good. And so a lot of what we call love is actually self-serving. We love it because of how it makes us feel. And this is where things start to get tricky because there's cultural expectations of what and who we should love in our lives. And so we use the word love even if love is not what's being exchanged between us. So we're supposed to love our pet or our spouse 
or our father and mother, and they're supposed to love us back, right? But often, if we are really emotionally honest about what's happening in these so-called love relationships, the exchange between us is often anything but loving. I see this frequently with my clients, and I've absolutely experienced it in my own life. When we peel back the cultural wrapping of the word love around the different relationships in our life and look at what's actually happening, particularly if there's abuse, manipulation, neglect, or other forms of negativity and suffering being tossed back and forth, it can be kind of disturbing to our equilibrium. The narrative that we have about how relationships are supposed to be This is particularly true around families. I have a client who recently went to visit his mother, who's a really dominating and quite abusive alcoholic. She's been completely unpredictable his whole life and ranges from overindulgent and adoring to giving him the silent treatment and even some pretty extreme violence. He had to get stitches once because she threw something at him and it broke against his head. And he recently had an experience that's common to many people. He's in his 30s. He went to visit his mother. And he's been doing a lot of inner work. He's a meditator. He's got a great career in tech. He's very creative. And as soon as he gets in the toxic environment of his mother's house, he reverts to being a nine-year-old boy. And she's smoking. She's already been drinking. The TV's blaring in the background. And he tries to have what feels like a normal conversation with her and share some of the things that are happening in his life. And there's this repetition of this experience he's had over and over again throughout his lifetime, which is that she's filled with fear and negativity. And the whole environment is disturbing for him. And he gets triggered and she gets triggered. They end up having an argument and he leaves. And then he feels guilty because his mother is getting older and he wants to have a nice relationship with her. He's always wanted to have a nice relationship with her. But she is so mired in her own sickness and dysfunction, she is incapable of participating in a nice relationship. And it's not a coincidence that he has been caught in a pattern of dating addicted and emotionally unavailable women, because that's the template for a love relationship that he learned in his family. And so what he has come to know as love is actually not love at all. And it's extremely likely that this is the dynamic of loving relationship that his mother grew up with. In fact, I happen to know that she had a pretty crappy childhood, so it's not too much of a mystery that she wasn't able to create or pass on something that she didn't experience herself. And this really is one of the golden gifts of good therapy, personal growth work, and self-transformation is that we do not have to be caught in the repetitive patterns of ourself, of our culture, or our families, that we can be free to create something new. But frequently, in order to create something new, particularly within ourselves, we need to let go of the old system, or at least get really honest about it. Otherwise, we're trying to build a brand new house on an old, rotten foundation. And so what is mature and soul-nourishing love? This idea, perhaps, of unconditional love, love with no conditions. And the definition of love that has been most helpful to me is to extend one's self for another's spiritual growth. And from this perspective, love is an action, not a feeling. 
that unconditional love seeks to bring rather than to get, that mature love contemplates the highest good for the other and acts in service of that highest good even at the giver's expense. Can I love someone enough to let them go, to tell them a difficult truth? Can I love them enough to not protect them from the natural consequences of their own bad behavior and give them the dignity of their own experience? And this is a very powerful principle in parenting, in family and friend relationships, and certainly with the partners and lovers in our life. Unconditional love wants what's best for the other person on a soul level without regard for itself. True unconditional love is an extremely elevated and high quality emanation that most of us can only hope to touch upon, but it's an excellent goal to aim for. And when we try to love unconditionally, selflessly, truly with the evolution and highest good of the person or animal, that is the object of our love, it is beneficial to us as well because unconditional love calls everyone to grow. Unconditional love is like a black light on the fluorescent colors of our unhealed emotional wounding. It'll bring up my neediness, my attachment, my fear, my sense of inadequacy, my desire for control, manipulation, revenge. And if we're mindful and doing our own work, then trying to love unconditionally will show us exactly where we need to grow. And there's this wonderful element that comes out of the 12 steps about the principles of how we can grow and change. And the idea that how stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And those are excellent principles to grow in unconditional love, both for ourselves and with others. Because unlike the love of places and things, The love of people is challenging because there's a feedback loop. And even if we put love out, wishing for another's highest good, we may not get love back. And what happens then when someone throws us guilt or their fear or their blame or shame or their rejection or their hatred? And can we be honest? And the sister of honesty is acceptance. Can we accept where this person is? We have all these really powerful pronouns like mother, father, sister, husband, wife, daughter. And we have idealized archetypes around those words that often have nothing to do with the person who carries that label. And I found it extremely helpful to remove those pronouns, particularly in my own mind when I'm thinking about these people. This can be invaluable when dealing with parents simply by calling them by their given name in our own head when we refer to them. Because this idealized image of mother and how she should be may have absolutely nothing to do with the person we call mom. And so for me, when I got honest about what Fran was capable of, I also had to be honest about what she was not capable of. Even though the agreement between us up to that point was that we would both pretend that that's what was happening between us, but it wasn't what was happening at all. She was a very sick, self-centered and manipulative person. And I kept going to an empty well, hoping to get water. And then I'd be enraged when the well was dry. But she was a dry well. I had to get honest about that. Because then I could accept her and offer her unconditional love for the person that she was, 
I could have appropriate expectations from her, which were very low, and I could actually get my cup filled by going to other wells that had water. Because the universe is infinitely generative and creative and wants to fill our needs. But we got to go where the water is if it's thirsty. We can rage at the empty well all we want. It will not fill with water. In fact, it may fill with poison, as in the case of my client. It was a very hard session for him when we confronted the idea of love between him and his mother. He felt really guilty with the idea that she might not be loving. But when we can rename what's actually happening and be honest about it, then again, we can be open to grow in unconditional love and our ability to receive it from places where it actually exists. So I encourage you to look at the templates in your own life of what you call love. And as humans, they are always a mix of brilliance and brokenness, of darkness and of light. But the truth really does set us free. And we have the opportunity to grow in our own ability to express unconditional love, even if those around us do not. Thank you so much for listening. Unconditional love is a massive topic. In fact, I'd love to do a workshop on it once I get settled after my move to New York in a few weeks. I have plans to do a lot more live, free, interactive workshops and some longer, more in-depth paid workshops coming this fall. We're launching our two-part open-door digital course on Intro to Shamanism, Upper World and Lower World. We've created a really easily accessible step-by-step process to get a solid foundation in the power and mystery of the shamanic journey provides a really solid foundation for a journey practice on your own or a lot of the deeper work that you could do with me. Shamanism offers a doorway into the infinite metaphysical realms that have only our highest good in mind. Tremendous healing guidance and empowerment is available through this work. It's completely changed and redirected my life and is central to my spiritual psychology work. So I hope you'll give yourself the gift of shamanism, empowerment, and healing through this awesome two-part digital course. There's a link in the show notes. You can find me most Wednesdays on Insight Timer, 1230 Pacific, 330 Eastern, for a free event on healing trauma. And this week, Friday, July 22nd, I'm also doing one of my favorite pieces of work on dissolving the inner critic, using a modern perspective on an ancient Tibetan Buddhist practice. If you like this podcast, consider sharing with a friend, dropping five stars in Spotify, or a good review on iTunes. Deeply appreciate your support and the ongoing generosity of my supporters on Patreon and the very generous donations some of you have been offering through my website. Your willingness to give financially is deeply appreciated and profoundly helpful in my life. If you'd like to find out more about any of my services, shoot me an email, info at ReneeMcKenna.com, or drop me a DM on Instagram at Renee Lavalley McKenna. I'd love to hear from you. Blessings on your path until we meet again. This is Renee Lavalley McKenna for Spiritual Psychology.